So today we come to uh, our last chapter that we're going to cover, as I mentioned last week, uh, on the Gospel of St. John. The reason being is today we come to uh, the Gospel of St. John and chapter 11, which is the story of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Literally the next chapter goes into a particular day we're going to have a lot about, Palm Sunday. And off we go in the life of Christ to His passion from Palm Sunday all the way to His death, resurrection, and ascension in the Gospel of John. We're going to get that in Holy Week. okay? And so we're going to conclude this portion, at least this time's teaching of the Gospel of St. John with the raising of Lazarus. To be honest with you, I, I lived a, an entire series of teachings could be done on what happens in the Gospel of John and, and chapter 11 and the raising of Lazarus. Um, I could teach weeks and weeks. I will not teach weeks and weeks today, okay? Just to be fair, we're not going to do that. What I am going to do is I kept reading through the chapter and I kept reviewing all of the writings of the church fathers at every little piece of this chapter I have some things I'll bring to the table, but they're all based on the church fathers. And you're going to hear a lot of readings from the church fathers on this. Because they point not only to Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, but so much of what it shows us about Christ and about ourselves in this very chapter. And so I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Gospel of St. John chapter 11 verse 1. And I'll tell you when I'm going to skip around a little bit. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed for two more days in the place where he was. Skip down to verse 11. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought he was speaking about taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to Lazarus. There's a number of things we need to see in this opening part of this story. The first thing I want you to recognize is that we are told multiple times how much Jesus loved this family. We need to notice this. We're also given the fact that this Mary of the Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, this Mary was the one who broke the vial and poured out the oil, the nard, upon Jesus' feet and cried out for mercy, anointed Him with that oil. This is that family. And we are told that, let's see, in verse 3, The sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. There is relationship here already. Okay, Of course, Jesus loves everyone. But this is a family he knew. 
It's a family he had evidently spent time with. Enough to say that the one you love is sick. And then it goes on to say in verse 5, And Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. It says it again. Jesus has significant relationship with these. And yet, when he's told that Lazarus is sick, does he rush to the ones that he loved? No. In fact, it says he stayed right where he was for two more days. For two more days. Okay? He did know what he would do for Lazarus, for he was God. There's no question. And that Lazarus himself would have great joy upon the resurrection, his resurrection from the grave. And think of the testimony that Lazarus would have for the rest of his life. We're told that Lazarus lived. We find out that Lazarus lived another 30 years beyond his resurrection. What might he have talked about? Who was in the grave in Hades and had seen all that he had seen and been called back by the voice of God. Let me read to you from an early church theologian, Peter Chrysologus, on what he says about this. He says... You see how he gives full scope to death. He grants free reign to the grave. He allows corruption to set in to the body. He prohibits neither putrefaction nor stench from taking their normal course. He allows the realm of darkness to seize his friend, drag him down to the underworld and take possession of him. He acts like this so that human hope may perish entirely and human despair reach its lowest depths. The deed he is about to accomplish may then clearly be seen as the work of God, not of man. Jesus waited for Lazarus to die, staying in the same place until he could tell his disciples that he was dead. Then he announced his intention of going to him. Christ was glad because their sorrow over the death of Lazarus was soon to be changed into joy at the restoration of his life. I am glad for your sake, he said. Why for their sake? Because the death and raising of Lazarus was a perfect prefiguration of the death and resurrection of the Lord himself. This explains why he said to them, I'm glad for your sake, I had not been there. Because now you will believe. It was necessary that Lazarus should die so that the faith of all might truly rise with him from the dead. That's what the theologian writes. Jesus also tells them that Lazarus is sleeping. He uses those words as he uses a lot about death. He says Lazarus was only sleeping. Now they took him literally and they said, well, he's sleeping and he's sick. He's going to get better. Thank God. And Jesus says, no, you're not getting it. To me, he's sleeping. In reality, he is dead. And now we go to Him. Listen to St. Augustine on that. St. Augustine teaches, It was really true that He was sleeping. To His sisters, He was dead. To our Lord, He was sleeping. To those who could not raise Him again, He was dead. Our Lord awoke Him with as much ease from the grave as you might awake a sleeper from His bed. He calls him then asleep with reference to his own power, as the apostle says, but I would not have you be ignorant concerning those who are asleep. Asleep, he says, because he is foretelling their resurrection. 
And all and so all the dead are sleeping, both good and bad. But just as it matters to those who sleep and wake again daily, what they see in their sleep, some having pleasant dreams, some having nightmares so scary that they are afraid to fall asleep again in case they reoccur, so it is in death. Everyone sleeps and wakes up again in the circumstances particular to his own situation. I love what St. Augustine says. He is putting the difference between humanity and the humanity joined to divinity in Jesus Christ. In humanity, they saw Lazarus as dead. Why did Jesus say asleep? Because, I love that statement, with the same ease that he might wake someone who is sleeping. He wakes up Lazarus from the dead and brings him forth. That is the power of God. That is the power of God. And we take hope in the same And we also see that it was for the disciples' benefit from what Jesus would do for Lazarus. He would grant them great faith in this moment. When they perceive Lazarus dead, and for four days, which means, as we all know, that the corruption had set in. That's why they were scared to death. They were warning Jesus, no, 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 don't move the stone. It's going to be bad. Okay. Even with the corruption set in, They're going to see this man raised from the dead. And they're going to see that Jesus Christ not only says He is the resurrection, the life, He lives it. And He demonstrates it. And it would grow their faith. And think about this. We don't often think about the progression of the growth of faith. Every one of us in this room is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Christ, I pray, by the experience of Him, progressing to a deeper and deeper faith and belief in our Lord Jesus Christ by that experience. Why why do we think sometimes because the disciples are in a book and we know the end story that they didn't live that way? From the very time they were called, they had the birth of faith. Every time they saw Jesus do what He did, they had growth in faith. And even still, don't forget that when they would see the resurrection and the life give up His own life and die, they would doubt. They would have fear. They would mourn as those that it was final that Jesus was dead. Even after seeing all of this, I take great hope in this. These these people would become apostles. We are on a progression of faith. A progression of faith 100% dependent on the experience of the one who is the resurrection and the life. And we need to take hope in that. Let me read to you verses 20 through 27 of St. John chapter 11. We continue in the story. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went out and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. I'm not going to take a lot of time on this because I just taught on this at the Requiem Mass this week. Her faith, Martha's faith, is that one day in the future at an event, Jesus Christ will raise the dead. 
that the dead will be raised. It's an event somewhere in the future and our Lord so lovingly and yet so profoundly as to gift her with greater faith looks right at her and says, it's not an event. It's as if he says, your thinking is off. You're looking at an event, but the person who is the resurrection is talking to you. I am the resurrection and the life. There is no life apart from me. Okay? And I always read in a Requiem Mass to put the resurrection, the passed down teachings about Jesus Christ being the resurrection. I always read St. Athanasius. And I'll read that to you and then we'll move on. St. Athanasius, when Jesus proclaims himself the resurrection of the dead, he says, I am the voice of life that wakens the dead. I am the voice of joy that takes away sorrow and grief. I am the comfort of those who are in grief. Those who belong to me are given joy by me. I am the joy of the whole world. I gladden all my friends and rejoice with them, for I am the bread of life. This is why St. Paul says in the same, in, in, in I believe it's 1st or 2nd Thessalonians, the scripture were given every requiem mass. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. Because our hope, again, is not in some happening in the future that we're hoping to bank on. Our hope is in the person we know, Jesus Christ, who has lifed us already. If we remain in Him, we will have life everlasting because if we're in Him who is life, we have life. That's the Christian faith summed up. Summed up. Let's move on. St. John chapter 11, I begin in 28. And when she said these things... She went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, I'm in verse 33. Sorry, I skipped around on you a little bit. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. You know, we just went over the shortest verse in all of Scripture. St. John 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. Two words. And yet I will tell you that it is probably one of the most profound that tells us a lot about Christ and who He is and how much He is fully acquainted with our sorrow. You know, when I was growing up, I heard a teaching about Jesus wept that said this. And logically, you can go with this. You really can says that when Jesus wept, what he was weeping over was the lack of faith. They didn't see him yet for who he truly was. And so just like he would weep over Israel at times, that when Jesus wept, he was weeping, weeping because of their lack of faith. And while I will give credence to, to that idea... I will tell you, the more that I read the church fathers and the more that I understand who Jesus Christ is, that that is not why he wept. That is not why he wept. We're going to take some time to look at this. We really need to to pay attention and see something here. 
The fathers teach that the tears of Christ came from his absolute compassion over the one who died that God would use to glorify the Son. And the ones who he was with, who he loved, who were suffering the intenseness of the pain of the loss of their beloved. And not only that, what did John, the gospel writer, start with by proclaiming Jesus' love for Lazarus and Jesus' love for the sisters? His weeping, his pain over what has happened, we start with this. He's weeping with the human grief that he had taken upon himself by taking his divinity and joining it to humanity. There's no way that we can look at Jesus and say that he has redeemed humanity if he did not take fully humanity upon himself. All of the emotions, everything that he would go through, he engaged the entire human experience. And it included suffering over the suffering. And indeed suffering with the suffering. We see it when he says. Mary says. Lord if you'd only been here. You could have prevented this. That's faith actually. If you'd been here you could have healed him. That is faith. Therefore when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Then it says he wept over this. I want you to hear St. John Chrysostom on his weeping. He comes then to the tomb and again curbed his emotions. Why does the evangelist carefully mention in several places that he wept and that he groaned? He mentions these so that you may learn that he had truly put on our nature. Let me read to you in the, uh, in the Eastern Rite, they call it Orthros, that's our Matins, morning prayer. In the Eastern Rite, on the service of Matins on Lazarus Saturday, which is right before the week before Pascha. Listen to these verses. This is sung during that matin service. Thou mournest, O Jesus, this is of mortal nature. Thou bringest him back to life, this is of divine nature. The church has chanted this for so long. And even in the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53, which is a prophecy of Christ's suffering in his humanity. The prophet Isaiah says this. He, meaning Jesus, he is despised and rejected by man. A man of sorrows and fully acquainted with our grief. Describing Christ that would be fulfilled in him. When Jesus took on our humanity and joined it to his divinity. Our Lord Jesus Christ would experience all the joys of humanity. All of the heartaches of humanity. All of the temptations that you and I face. He faced them. All of them. In the same way, through the same flesh. The same weakness of the flesh. 
And His engaging human suffering was no less than we have to deal in human suffering. He took on our humanity, joined it to His divinity. He knows the human experience. Here's a thought that ought to begin to stretch your mind. That every time you suffer, because remember this, when our Lord Jesus Christ ascended, He did not put off our humanity. He kept it joined to Himself. And the humanity is eternally joined to His divinity as He is, as we described this morning, our great high priest who is fully acquainted with our grief, who is fully acquainted with, he is fully acquainted with the sinfulness of man, though He didn't sin. He's fully acquainted with the temptations that bring us to failure eternally in the heavens. So have you ever thought that when we suffer, when we fall, when we turn away from Him, when we suffer the sufferings of this life in losses or fears or torments, that our Lord in His humanity joined to His divinity. Our Lord weeps over us as well as He rejoices over us. Because He's taken us that much into Himself. Have you thought about that about yourself? A lot of times in suffering we feel very alone. Do we not? Uh, I remember when going reaching back, <clears throat> when my uh, grandmother passed away, who was extremely, extremely close to me. It's a very special lady to me. Now, my angel on earth went to be my angel in heaven, so to speak, and I know she prays for me. But even though my family was suffering uh, around me, we're all suffering together, there's still a feeling of nobody knows how I'm feeling. Nobody knows how I am walking through this, even though I can talk about it. No one can have an idea. And I can't have an idea of how my family was suffering. You know? You know who had an idea of how I was suffering? My Lord Jesus Christ who had humanity joined to His divinity, weeping over my suffering and there completely for me to grace me through it. And I'm not playing on emotions. Jesus wept. Jesus groaned in His spirit. You know what that groaning is? You remember that story I've told you a number of times when Jesus, who had been ministering to a multitude, He's at the Sea of Galilee. And it's been, an ex- for in, in His humanity, an exhausting day. Preaching, doing wonders, healing, and so on. And He gets in a boat because He's tired and He wants to go off and be alone. So He, he gets Himself in the Sea of Galilee and goes to the other shore. And the people follow Him all around the shore. And he could see this. He could see this. And when he gets off the boat, by the time he gets off, they're already there pleading for mercy. And it said that Jesus filled with compassion over these people. He doesn't go rest. He continues to minister to them. And that word compassion is this groaning in the spirit that's mentioned in John. He ached over their condition. He shared that pain within himself. And the pain was so incredible he had to act on their behalf to, to relieve their suffering. This is your Savior. This is your Savior who is your great high priest. He suffers with His people. We say, Scripture tells us He's interceding for us all the time. 
But have you ever thought about Christ like that? Let's hear St. Athanasius again on this. Actually, hold off. I want to read to you another part of St. John before we go there. St. John chapter 11, I begin in verse 38. Then Jesus again groaning in Himself came to the tomb. It was a cave. And the stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, and said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been there dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. I want you to notice two commands that we're going to talk about. The first one, Lazarus, come forth. By the way, who said those words? Jesus. Jesus. Go further. Who said those words? Who is he? The what of God. The word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Right? We hear every mass at the end of mass. He is the one that by what? His Word created everything. By His Word breathed life into man. And the same Word of God speaks and commands life to come back to Lazarus. Commands his soul to come from Hades, come back into the body, and life is renewed again in full. And the corruption done away with. So the one command by the Word of God is Lazarus come forth. What's the other command that you heard? Loose him. Loose him. Let's look at these. St. Athanasius, who was a bishop in the 300s. By the way, it's St. Athanasius, who would be used when uh, confronting various heresies, would give us, quite frankly, the doctrine that not only the Orthodox Church, but so many outside of Orthodoxy believe is the absolute belief on the Incarnation. And that was that. This is the same man we're hearing teach us today. Saint Athanasius says they took then the stone there from the mouth of the tomb. The whole crowd marvelled, witnessing the smell of Lazarus who was decayed. He had rotted so that they were not able to approach within the tomb because of the smell of his body and the decay. But into the midst came Jesus, the storehouse that is full of life, the mouth that is full of sweet odor. The tongue that frightens death. The mighty one in his commands. The joy of those who are sorrowful. The rising of those who have fallen. The resurrection of the dead. The assembly of the strong and the hope of the hopeless. He came and stood by the mouth of the tomb. With the preparations of salvation in his divine mouth. Now all the crowd were standing and beholding and wondering what he would do. In starting to raise him from the dead. Now the body was lying dead, but God Himself was standing over it, looking down on Him and grieving for Him. Isn't that beautiful? Let me ask you this. 
why should the resurrection of Lazarus, which by the way, everyone that Christ raised from the dead up to this point was raised within three days of their life, sometimes the same day. This is the first one where Christ raises from the dead one whose body had gone into decay. First time. Why should this give us hope? Why should this give us hope? It's going to be us. What happens when we perish? What happens when we fall asleep in the Lord? Our body does what? What do we say on Ash Wednesday? Behold, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Behold, O man, from dust thou came, to dust thou shalt return. That is what's going to happen, which means the body, though the soul is not there, the body is going to decay and go back to the earth. Lazarus' body was in decay. I don't want to go through the details that would have been there. And, and there are some of the church fathers that take you through the details of what would be happening in the body on the fourth day in a tomb like that. And I'm not going to do that to you. But suffice it to say, there was much repair work that needed to be done. Fair enough. When Lazarus came out, there was no decay. Not only did he cause, did Christ cause the soul to return to Lazarus, but he completely brought him back whole as he was created in the beginning, as he had before he got sick. He made him whole again. The Word of God that speaks everything into existence is the same Word of God who is the resurrection and the life that will life us forever. That will life us forever. Let me read to you again St. Athanasius. On page 3rd, let's see here. Here we go. Come forth. See, I'm standing by you. I am your Lord. You are the work of my hands. Why have you not known me? Because in the beginning I myself formed Adam from the earth and gave him breath. Open your mouth yourself so that I may give you breath. Stand on your feet and receive strength for yourself, for I am the strength of the whole creation. Stretch out your hands and I shall give them strength, for I am the straight staff. I command the foul odor to depart from you, for I am the sweet odor of the trees of paradise. Behold, the prophecy of Isaiah the prophet will be fulfilled in you, namely, I shall open your tombs and I shall bring you out. And that prophecy always had a double meaning. One is your baptism, where Christ will speak and command life back into you by the Holy Spirit. And the decay of the sinful nature will be washed away. And you will have breathed into you the new and Holy Spirit, gifting you with new life. With new life. And so He opens the grave and lets us out of the death that the fall had created. But then, of course, the fathers always teach, always teach, that because He is the resurrection and the life, that though we fall asleep, though we were dead, yet shall we live. Because we're kept in Him. And just like Lazarus, He will bring us back. And even greater than this, 
even greater than this. We know that on the last day, not only will soul return to body, it will return to glorified body. Quite frankly, the body that was created in the beginning. Because in the beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, you know how it says they, they felt naked, they were naked and ashamed? The fathers teach us that the nakedness had nothing to do with clothing as we know clothing. But that the nakedness had to do with the fact that they were arrayed in the glory of the Father who created them. And that when they fell, when they chose outside and followed Satan, the glory, the uncreated glory of God that clothed them was no longer there. And they felt naked. That's why when we look at the transfiguration of Jesus Christ, we see what our body will become. It's a great point of rock of hope for all of us. Because in that last day, when we are given this new and glorified body, it will radiate with the glory of God as did Adam and Eve eternally. And those are the two hopes that we get. And no pain. Thank you. Thank you. No pain. No death. You're exactly right. Thank you for that. So Christ commands life back in Tim. But what about the other thing? Loose the bonds. Loose him. I want to read to you from St. Irenaeus. St. Irenaeus, by the way, was a direct disciple of the one who's writing this gospel. Irenaeus and Polycarp were two people that would follow. They would be the next generation of apostles. Next generation of overseers of bishops. And here's what Irenaeus says about this. Concerning Lazarus, who had laid four days in the tomb, in what body did he rise again? In the same, no doubt, in which he had also died. For if it were not in the same body, then certainly he who had died did not rise again. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth. This was symbolic of that man who had been bound in sins. And therefore the Lord said, Unbind him. And let him go. Therefore, since those who were healed were made whole in those members that in times past been afflicted, and the dead rose in the identical bodies, their limbs and bodies received health. So also that life that was granted by the Lord, who prefigures eternal things by temporal ones, shows that he, it is He who is Himself able to extend both healing and life to His handiwork so that his words concerning its future resurrection may also be believed. What's he, what is St. Irenaeus harpening on? When Christ loosed Lazarus from death. And then he says, loose him from that which binds him. It is the picture of every Christian that is loosed from death by the fall that we talked about before, the sin nature. We are freed from that. Loosed from the bonds of Satan who has been overthrown. And now we walk in the freedom under Christ as a bondservant to Him. That's what St. Irenaeus is talking about. Some thoughts and questions. Yes? It's a hard thing, a really hard thing, but we're really pleased from Say that loud. Say it a little bit louder. When you're facing your physical death, you're 
your, your list from that, yeah. if you just keep yourself in terms of Christ, although it's a very scary time and that's scary thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that, that's a very good... Have you ever thought... This is, this is, our culture has a horrendous view of death. We really know that. We really know that. The early Christians didn't know this. Why do you think so many plunged to their death so very willingly by martyrdom? Because they knew. Why is it Paul talked about in the epistles? Sometimes he longed for the point of falling asleep. Because he knew the Christ who is the resurrection and that his actual falling asleep was a loosing. Was a freeing from everything Norma just talked about. All of the sufferings of the results of the fall and getting brought to Christ. It's it's a very good point. We are loosed even from death itself in Christ. Yes? I don't know how far back the relationship you just had with Mary Martha and Lazarus. We we don't. Well, we, we know... We know where Christ first gets introduced to Martha. We don't know the time frame. Because remember, it's Martha who poured out... I mean, excuse me. Mary, Mary, forgive me. We know that she, in the Holy Scripture, his first encounter with her is is her weeping at his feet and anointing him with this oil that would later be used at his burial. Okay, so so that is the first encounter? To our knowledge. Okay. There's no indication that he knew Mary before then. But then... The indication is he got to know that family in, in, in some relational sense to, for, for him to claim this is the one you love, mm-hmm. right? Well, is it sure if it maybe started before he started his three years? Yeah. They could have, we, we don't know, they could have followed him yeah. from that point. We don't know those things, you're right. Yes? I was just going to ask about baptism. When you baptize someone, would you say raised Oh, absolutely it is. In baptism, yeah. Go ahead. Do you have some more of that question? I can't remember the words. I can't remember the words. There's a lot of them. And they're wonderful. And I wish I had them here because they do talk about exactly what we're talking about. You're right. What I will what I will tell you is this. That through the whole baptism process is a loosing and a resurrecting. I'll tell you a few of the things from my bad memory. A few of the things from my bad memory is there is the exorcism over everyone who is baptized, the casting out. What's that? That's the loosing. We cast out the demonic. In other words, we got a clean house before we fill it. Right? And that, that so all of those prayers leading up to the baptism. And then there is, if it's an adult, the adult renounces with what? Word. What is the person doing? They're joining the Word of God. Renouncing Satan, renouncing all of his works, all of his pomps, which means all of his temptations. I do renounce him. Will you now, having been cleansed, so to speak, having everything, the the, uh, exorcism done, having joined yourself, will you now be baptized, brought into oneness? Will you be resurrected? And the answer is absolutely. And we baptize them. And in baptism, they go, as Paul describes, they go into the death of Christ, into the tomb first. And as they come out, it's as Lazarus being called forth. Just like Jesus came forth from the grave. Truly, it's in Jesus' resurrection 
but we're on the Lazarus story. We're talking about the same things, a loosing and a resurrecting. And you're right, thank you, it's all there in baptism. I pray that you will begin to see our Lord Jesus Christ constantly in the mode of having compassion over us. Constantly in the mode of with His humanity joined to divinity who has experienced all the struggles we experience, all the suffering we experience, that that's how one He is with us. Okay? And number two, the hope of the resurrection is in Jesus Christ who will call forth us from the dead and He's already begun to do that by calling us to Himself and loosing the bonds of everything that would keep us from that experienced unity in Him and the blessedness of His kingdom. Let's stand.